Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, I talk class issues, cunnilingus, kissing, fashion, punks, and more with author Michelle T. Stay tuned. Michelle T. is the author of the books The Chelsea Whistle, Valencia, Mermaid in Chelsea Creek, Rent Girl, How to Grow Up, and more. She is also one of the co-creators of Sister Spit, the queer literary roadshow. Michelle has a new book coming out September 15th called Black Wave. If you stay tuned after the show, you can hear Michelle list some of her tour dates that are coming up in the next couple of months. Now please enjoy my advice and conversation with Michelle T. Hi, Nicole. Uh, how did you feel when you came to that point in your life where you kind of stopped looking so, you know, wearing like punk hair colors and, you know, leather, you know, leather and studs and, you know, patches and all that. And you realize that, you know, true individualism comes from within you and you don't have to kind of show it off in a way, but you may look totally normal, but you're still, you know, really, really cool and like listen to the greatest music. How, do, how was that for you? And do you have any advice for somebody that may be experiencing that now? I just feel kind of like uh, like I'm not as cool as I used to be because I don't, you know, I don't wear uh, I don't wear um, leather jackets anymore, and I don't have green hair, but I still feel it inside me. But now I just look like an average Joe. Okay, thanks. Sorry, I know this was a little long. Bye. Okay. Ha. Huh. Well so many things to say about this there's so many different angles to approach it um you're the expert i kind of think well i feel like i've done this a few times in my life like i was i was severely goth in high school you know clown white for foundation greasy clown <laughs> foundation it was so greasy that then you had to put baby powder on top of it so you know to mattify it um i love that oh black hair you know, if I could have gotten tattoos at that age, I would have bats all over me, stuff like that. And then um, in 12th grade, I just suddenly wanted to wear a little color. I just kind of wanted to do things a little differently. I was sick of wearing black lace dresses every single day of my life. I wanted to wear pants. Like, I just kind of felt like I knew I was goth. Like, I knew what I had lived. I knew, like, what the music that I loved was. And I was just kind of ready to do something different with the way I look. Cause like, I like fashion a lot. I like, I like putting clothes on my body. It's like one of my favorite things every single day to go in my closet and be like, what am I going to wear today? It's like a bona fide bright spot in every single day, no matter what's going on. So it was fun to all of a sudden be like, Oh, I'm going to do this kind of thing, you know? Um, and it was a little bit weird cause I definitely felt unmoored a little adrift like I definitely felt like 
there is something great about, you know, at that point in my life, like walking through Boston, which is a very terrible place, you know, if you look different or feel different or are different, it would be fun to like walk through and see other goths or punks and just be like, sup, you know, and like, I lost that, you know, I couldn't prove that I was super goth and arguably I wasn't super goth anymore, you know, cause I, I wasn't doing that anymore. Um, and then later I had the same experience, I guess, after wanting to look like visibly queer in this particular style, you know, and then kind of like letting go of that and being like, I think that the older you get, you just ideally stop giving a crap what people think of you and dressing in these like overtly subcultural ways, like they're for you, right? When you're doing, it cause they make you really happy. And then this other thing happens, which is like you show your camaraderie with other people and you're showing your disdain of the larger world and you're making all of these sort of like cultural and political points with the way that you dress. But after a point, you just feel like you don't necessarily need to do that anymore. Like you did it and you don't necessarily need to broadcast everything to the world. Maybe you're old enough to know the world doesn't really care anymore. So it feels sort of like, like a waste of your time. But like, as far as like, if you're cool or not, it's like, I don't know. Like there's so many ways to approach that. It's like, yes, you're still cool on the inside, right? Your hair is always green on the inside. Your inner child's hair is green and wearing a spike leather jacket forevermore. But also it's like, maybe you're just not cool anymore. Like there's that way of looking at it too. Like maybe you can just like let the pressure off and like not be cool. Like if that's what you think is cool to look like that, like just let yourself not be cool anymore. Um, or, you can decide that cool is something else that you want to do, you know, cool. Like what is cool to you right now? Like, like you don't have to believe with the single minded fury, the punk demands of you that punk is the end all be all the only way that anyone can ever be cool. And you know, the most hardcore person wins period. Like there's that whole thing in punk of like, whoever's the hardest core is, is in the, is the punkest. And like, you're always on the lookout for posers. And it's like such a, I mean, if you really take a step back, which it sounds like this gentleman has, you can kind of see it for the kind of childish, like high schooly one upmanship that it is. And ideally at a certain point in your life, you just don't want to engage in those kind of games anymore. Cause you've got other stuff going on in your big grown up life. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, if this guy aged into like age 50 with green hair, you also might be like, like you turn a corner at some point where you're like, that's not that cool. Like when you see somebody that's like still like looks like a teenager and is doing all the same things they thought were cool as a teenager. Yeah. You're like, There's... you wonder if they've grown it all, if their perspective has become nuanced ever. Um, yeah. I don't know. Or I, well, are they I, not bored? This brings up the question, the word, did you make this up? The word queaked? I don't think I made it up. I think our friend Beth Pickens made up queaked. Okay. Can you I just define call this, this phenomena the bugged, trapped in amber phenomena. So queaked is like when you came of age at a certain time and then your fashion never moved forward from that time. Yeah. It's like you came of age, you know, it means queer peaked. So in this way, it's speaking specifically to the queer community, although anybody can, can queak. Although I do think there is something about being dedicated to a subculture makes you more at risk for queaking, whether it's a queer subculture, punk subculture, that kind of stuff. Um, basically, it's like that moment, especially, you know, queers come of age a little later in life. So it's like in your 20s, when you kind of have your coming of age in your 20s, then you have that moment 
and it like all falls into place and you look super hot and you feel powerful and you feel sexy and people are cruising you and like you're having sex and you're like i have arrived i look so hot <laughs> then you just look like that for the rest of your life you know and it's like i think it's like i don't know let's, like, let's give some examples like people here I, so i live in portland yeah and people here that came of age in the pacific northwest in the 90s have a grunge yeah like a grunge dyke aesthetic and you can, yeah. there's people that just carry that forward. Some people can really get away with it and they just look cool. You know, I think that like, I think that like butches and masculine people have an edge sadly on, on femme people because um, in our culture, masculine dress is just a little bit less trend specific. Except so you get a lot of butch and masculine people who are wearing kind of like just some classic duds that they can kind of keep wearing maybe indefinitely and, I, and that can work for them i gotta say the san francisco butch that came of age in the 90s rockabilly flair is a hard look to carry forward i mean we're getting into dangerous territory here george's because we're like really like coming down on people's like self-expression which nobody likes when people do that but i have to say i'm not a fan of the rockabilly look i feel like it does bring me back to a time in my own life where I was wearing feather boas and fake fur and drinking way too much. And so maybe it's just a personal trigger for me, but yeah, I mean the rockabilly look, I don't, I don't like it. I you know, should... It's like hand in hand with like a hot topicy sort of punk goth expression. Also, I feel like I don't, I don't really like that either. You know, there is a problem in general where like queers can kind of live in the island of misfit toys or, or the island of the lost boys and just like never grow up and just basically wear like hoodies and sneakers for their entire life and like never have to get it together to present themselves in a, a different way. And it's like, who am I to have an opinion on this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people out there are saying like, fuck her. And I, I agree with you. <laughs> if you're saying fuck her, I agree with you. But since I was brought on here to kind of like expound on my personal taste, I guess I'm going to do that for me. It's been really fun to let go of different um, ways of looking that, that were tied very tightly to like personal identity and, and subcultural expression and open myself up to the scary wider world of fashion and what that means has really challenged me personally around issues of class or feminism or even queerness, like passing as queer, not passing as queer or stuff like that. It's been fun for me to step into that territory, even though it can be scary and even fully anxiety inducing at times. On the other end, it's been just like really gleeful and fun to be, you know, like I'm 45, like, to be like later in life, like in my late thirties or whatever, when I started kind of thinking more about this stuff and find that there's this whole realm of the world and of art to a certain degree, because clothing is art, right? That's open to me that I can explore in a totally different way. Like that was really inspiring to me. Um, I still get the majority of my clothes in a thrift store. I'm just looking for different things when I thrift than I used to. Do you, you know, so when I was a teenager, I got giant tattoos I started getting giant tattoos as soon as I could because I wanted to, like, um, sabotage myself out of ever being square. I wanted to do that, too. <laughs> I was what like, wrong with us that we just saw our bodies as this thing that we needed to damage in order to keep ourselves down? Like, whoa. I was it's like. so intense. I was like, if I, I was like, I'm going to, like, this is my second tattoo. I'm pointing to a tattoo that goes from my shoulder to my elbow. Oh my god! It's my second tattoo ever. I started getting when I was 18 years old, 
because I was just like, you know what? If I'm ever square, I deserve it. That's what I would think too. I'd be like, future Michelle, if you hate your tattoos, too bad. You are now lame and you deserve to have shitty tattoos calling you out, preventing you from leading the bourgeoisie life that you now think you want, you loser. Same thing with getting my knuckle tattoos. When I was like 24 years old, I was like, you know what? And I had this like very Catholic thing about it where I was like, if I don't ever like them, I'll just have to wear flesh paint every day for the rest of my life. And that's my <laughs> penance <Flesh> for having, <laughs> that's my penance for having bad judgment. <laughs> oh my God. What weird, harsh people are we? Like, oh God, there's like harsh young psyches that we had. You know, truthfully, I'd like to get rid of most of my tattoos. Well, we've talked about this before, how you'd rather either have like zero tattoos. Like if you had to go back, maybe you'd have zero tattoos or all tattoos. Well, no, I just think that I'm in so deep now that all I can do is just keep collecting tattoos. You know, there's nothing, there's, there's no going back. So you just have to be fully committed forward. But I wish that like, I guess I'd be in a perfect world. I would just have like my, I really love my knuckle tattoos. I would just like have those and maybe like my neck tattoo maybe like that's it you know i kind of like when people just have these really sparse tattoos but in really extreme places you know where they have like no tattoos but a face tattoo like i think that's cool <laughs> but you know your ideas of what's cool changes and if i had had that then maybe i'd be now and be like oh i wish my body was totally covered with 90s styles tattoos of nautical stars and burlesque dancers you know maybe i just wish i had <laughs> what I actually have today. I do get a little self-conscious about that sometimes. I just want to like put a timestamp. Like when someone's like looking at me, I want to be like, hey, hey, you're looking at 1998 here, okay? Which I did. Okay, I have a Jack Skellington tattoo on my leg. And last year I got a banner added underneath them that says 1998 because that was happening. That's so smart. Because people, I would wear shorts and then people would be staring so hard at me. And I was like, don't judge me. What are you jealous? Stop looking at this. But so I put this banner on it. It was 1998, just to give it some context. To be like, hey, I didn't just go get a fresh, like nine inch tall Jack Skellington tattoo. Okay, that was my first tattoo. Thank God. For those who don't know who Jack Skellington is, it is a Tim Burton character from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Yes, and I really I got talked out of getting a sleeve, shoulder to wrist, a Nightmare Before Christmas sleeve. This is what I went in for. 18 years old with my money for my full-time job. And I was like, okay, I want it to be purple and orange. I want it to be like a bunch of pumpkins here by my wrist. And then like the swirling castle and all the characters and Jack Skellington standing on a hill. And they talked me down to get, they talked me down. What did they say to you? He was like, you know, that's going to get blurry. If it's that small, if the characters have to be that small, they're going to get blurry at a certain point. Cause he's a skeleton. You're not going to be able to tell. So what if, what if we pick a bolder, different one, we put it somewhere else? And I was like, oh, okay. It's same same place where I went in to get freckles tattooed on my face, and they turned me away. That was a good idea. Freckles <laughs> on the face tattoos, is, that's a really cute idea. I like that idea a lot. Thank you. I'm glad I didn't you're, get it now. That you're I glad have, you didn't get it? Now that I have you're, a face that's not marred by, like, 15-year-old, like, blurry blobs, I'm happy <laughs> that I don't have that. But I, I wasn't like Raggedy Ann freckles. It was like a smattering of natural looking freckles because I've always been jealous of those. You know, I, the worst tattoo that I almost got but was saved from getting was a tramp stamp <laughs> that was a piece of candy with a banner above it that said the name of my ex, their name, possessive candy. 
remember this person that. is just like not even doesn't even have this name anymore. But can we give them a fake name just so we can imagine this tattoo? Like- yeah. So it said like it said like Karen's candy. <laughs> That's basically what it said. It said it would have said Karen's candy with a piece of candy just above my tailbone. Just like my ass is a big piece of candy for Karen forever. You know, I'm so glad that my tattoo artist just was like, I think we've done enough for today. Cause I went in and I was like, I want a pigeon with a crown on my shoulder. And then I want Karen's candy on my tailbone. And he was like, I think we've done enough. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll be back. I'll be back for that Karen's candy. You'll see me again. I'm so glad you don't have that. Me too. That would be so hard to cover up. (laughs) I was was like, you definitely have like a Black Panther tattooed on your lower back right now is what you would have instead to cover that up. You're like crying from laughing at that right now. If you could see me and me and George's are on FaceTime. If you could see her, she's like, her glasses are off. She's wiping her face. (laughs) Her face is all pink and teary. I'm imagining you getting married or like... Just going to Mexico and you're wearing like a bathing suit. Oh, oh God! And everyone will be like, "Who's Karen?" Because this person doesn't even have that name anymore. Like nobody even knows that they had the former name that they had. And they'd be like, "Who's Karen?" I would just be like, "I don't know what I'd say." My high school sweetheart. I just say probably Karen. Karen probably wasn't even paying for that tattoo. I'm good. Oh no, Karen was not paying for that tattoo. So it wasn't even like Karen branded you. It was like you were like. Let me brand myself for you, which is not the first time I've done something like that in my history. Like when I was in junior high school, I was crazy over this dude from the roller rink, Richie Montgomery, who was a total player in skis and a bad person. And I was super hot for him. And he, I got my first hickey from him. I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that it felt awesome, whatever he was doing, and I never wanted it to end. And then I kind of woke up to a giant hickey on my neck, which was really sad. But I think we went out for like a week, and during that week, I stole one of my mother's sweatshirts. The front of it said it was like 51% angel, 49% bitch. It was like that kind of sweatshirt. <laughs> and um, and then my father had, had at one point gone to the – to the mint in Washington DC and and gave me a sheet of uncut $2 bills. So I cut up the sheet of the $2 bills and I brought this tiny stack of $2 bills to the t-shirt shop at the mall and had them put fuzzy letters on the back of my mother's shirt that said Richie's girl. Oh no. Because it was super like all the cool girls at the roller rink who were super tough and cool and smoked weed all had that on the back of their sweatshirts. It was all like Sully's girl, Tony's girl, you know, all the, I was like, Oh yeah, I can wear that shirt now. Richie's girl. And it's like, I could never even wear it. Cause I was like, never actually his girl. It was just like this weird project. I was like a woman who had a Pinterest board, but has like no date, you know, oh, no. but it's like pinning their wedding on their, their wedding Pinterest board. That's what I was like when I was like 13 years old. When I was in middle school, I was like, I'm not going to put any pictures in my locker until I have pictures of my boyfriend to put in my locker. And I never <laughs> had a boyfriend. So I never had pictures in my life. Oh locker. no, you were deprived of all the Lisa Frank decor you could have had in your locker I know I was like I'm waiting I'm waiting for my special guy my special guy is gonna go up here I'm gonna you know get my Polaroid out um so I'm I'm doing something that I think is pretty edgy right now which is in my personal (laughs) in my personal life I'm bringing back pigtails now 
I wanted to ask you about this, about fashion okay. and aging, because I remember reading a thing in Bust in, like, the 90s that it was, like, the illustration was, like, an old woman wearing, like, a Courtney Love, like, kinder whore dress. And it was basically <laughs> about all the things that you can't, like, like, maybe it's not so cute to have pigtails after 30. And, like, my friend Jerry is, like, Beth, Beth Ditto's other best friend, Jerry, uh, says that it's creepy for adult women to have pigtails. <laughs> and so I stopped doing it. And then I just, I just found my journal the other day. I was like, if people can start getting fucking nose rings again, why can't I have pigtails? I was like, why not? Why not? I, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do this, like walking down the street in LA. Hey, look at Kinder. Are you talking about the pigtails you're wearing right now? Right now. I think they look fine. And I don't think they look childish. I don't think you're, it doesn't look like you're trying to be like Gothic Lolita. It just looks like you've got your hair in a couple of ponytails. I think it's absolutely fine. Like if you were sucking a lollipop (laughs) and wearing like Mary Jane's and ankle socks, maybe it would be a little weird, but (laughs) you could probably still get away with it for a little while. I don't know. Like why are so, why are people so scared of like, I don't know. I'm so torn about these things because in a feminist way, I'm just like, why are people so scared of like older women being sexual? You know, like, is that what, is that what part of that is? And then it's kind of like women are infantilized sexually for like half their life. And then suddenly are supposed to kind of like stop wearing these things that are sort of childlike, even though we've been encouraged to look kind of childlike. So there's like all this screwy kind of stuff in there about aging and misogyny and, sex and stuff like that but like you're not even doing that right now like you're just wearing your hair and there's nothing particularly sexual or young about it like i would never wear one of my like peter pan collar dresses with this hairstyle at the same time i think you actually could now i think that if you were wearing it on top okay i want to tell listeners at home that they're low ponies they're two low ponies it makes a difference. I think if you had high ponies bugging out of your head, I think that might look a little like, whoa. Yeah. You know? And now I'm speaking from like an aesthetic. So I already talked about like, from a feminist perspective, I want to be like, whatever, fly your freak flag and like screw everyone who thinks women are supposed to like stop having sex when they're, you know, 39 years old or something. Yeah. But, but then from an aesthetic perspective, I just don't think it would look good. No, it wouldn't look good. But is there is anything... Is my aesthetic informed by women hating? Of course it is. I, I grew up in the United States of America. Like, do I want to sit here and pick apart, like, what part of my aesthetic... Oh, I guess I might want to sit here and pick apart what part of my aesthetic is woman hating. I mean, you can make yourself so crazy. Like, sometimes you just want to live. Like, I just don't think it looks cute to have ponytails on the top of your head. No, but is Even it... if you're, like, 20, I don't think it looks cute to have ponytails on the top of your head. No, I don't, I don't, I don't like that either. I don't like that. I can't get into that. <laughs> It looks cool like that. And like low braids too. That would look super cool. Like when you were just talking about that, I'm like, what about like, like, I don't know, like cool women, like with like long gray hair that put them in like long gray braids. Like that looks bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, this is Cameo from uh, Nevada. I um, hope you're having a good summer, Nicole. I have a question. I've been with the same person for about seven years. And uh, I love them very much. They're very, they're everything I could ever want, but they are just an awful kisser. I can't, I love them. I love, I love, I love making love with them, to them. I'll do anything for them sexually to please them. They will do anything for me. I just don't know how to tell them they're just, you know, a a horrible kisser. Um, yes, I, I, I would, you know, 
I, they're not sensitive persons, I wouldn't say, um, but no one wants to hear that. And especially why is it taking me seven years? Okay. Uh, thank you. I, I have to say, I, I mean, knock, knock on wood, for the most part, I've always been able to cajole people into my, into something that feels doable for me. Yeah. And then the only times that I haven't are times that I was like, it's not worth it. Like something else about them didn't add up. And then like, they had like a parrot tongue or something. Like if that's (laughs) happened, then I'm just like, let's just call it a day. It's true. It's true. I find like anyone that you really have some sort of chemistry or connection with, usually you can kind of meet in the middle with your kissing. You sort of, you sort of work it out without even realizing it maybe. Cause maybe the other person doesn't think you're a great kisser either, but you kind of just like meet in the middle because everyone has their styles, you know? Yeah. But I think there's more going on. Seven years. This person has a seven-year itch. Now they're just suddenly like, I can't I can't live with this person's kisses anymore. It's like you've lived with their kisses for seven years. Like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? You know? Like that Did you, have you really been, like, repressing, like, a repulsion for seven years and you're just now cracking? I just think there's other things going on. That's probably. so long. Yeah. You know, the seven-year itch is a real thing. People, a lot of people break up around the seven or eight-year mark seems like i wonder why that in particular that's just the time when you're like hit it or quit it yeah maybe you're like i'm either gonna really stay with you for the rest of my life or not i guess right yeah. it's a long time it's a long time that seems like and you're, just, and you're just like i don't want it to get any longer it's been a long time and i just i don't want it to get any longer i regret kissing you for for seven you years poorly for the past seven years hello this is shelly um from wisconsin um, I just recently moved to Madison from um, Idaho. I um, just started dating this person who's really incredible, and very sweet, and um, I'm bisexual. Um, I have been in two relationships with women. Um, I'm 30 with men. I'm 43. I um, my question. Well, right, well, this is my question. Um, my problem when I'm dating women is I really do not, I just don't enjoy oral sex. I do not enjoy the smell. And um, the woman I'm currently dating is asking, is she seems to be really, she really likes it and she, she really is into it. Um, even with men, oral sex was fine. I enjoyed it more, I, but I... The smell, just, I, it's not that it's a bad smell. I, I understand. I'm not, um, I'm not hating on, on the female anatomy. I just genuinely, I just don't enjoy it. It's just not something I like. I, I, I use deodorant even though I know that it's bad for me and the ammonia content and, um, so on. I'm sorry. I'm not keeping this very short or snappy but um what do I do about this how do I approach this do I tell them the smells gross I I mean I don't know okay thanks that just have a smell so do penises for some reason not really talked about in the culture balls smell dicks have penises, a smell no they're they gross too. they don't even wipe they're my, like musty parts of your body and all this dust Skin stuck together, all tucked into clothes, walking around, friction, sweat. I mean, these are like... And like pee. These are our genitals. Like, genitals are weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I can't imagine this person is going to think like a 
a dick smells like roses either <laughs> because I don't know. There might be another. I, okay, where do I even want to start? All right, do I, not tell the girl who is so generously allowing you between her legs that her snatch has an unpleasant smell. Don't just don't be that person ever. Um, if she's dying, like if there's like a real infection thing, and it's not just but you there being isn't. A I don't even think we should talk about that. Don't even talk about it. Okay. Don't even talk about it. Because guess what? If there's an infection, the girl knows she has an infection. You know when you have an infection. Because it smells you know? different, and you can tell because you've lived. Yeah. With there you yeah. are. You live in your underwear. You look at it. You're like, what the hell's that? What's going on? I'm itchy. I sting. Whatever. She does not have an infection. Okay. First of all, this girl is like, I don't like it. It's not about you in that moment. It's about making this person feel good. Ideally, you get out of yourself enough to be like, it doesn't matter if this is pushing my comfort zone, if this feels foreign and therefore I'm shutting down to it, if it has a smell I'm not used to, so I'm feeling phobic of it, I wanna pull away from it, this is overwhelming, it doesn't matter. It's, you put on your big girl pants, you stick your face in your girlfriend's crotch and you make her very happy. That's your job, that's your job. And I just don't think you get to be in a relationship with a woman and refuse to go down on her. I just think like, it's just not okay, you know? And yeah that's what i mean it's just not okay no so i don't know and it's like hold your breath don't breathe out of your breathe out of your mouth yeah also you know something it could be a bit of an acquired taste like maybe if you just keep exposing yourself to the funky smell of a vag you'll come to love it because you'll associate it with good times there's that yeah um i mean if you really can't abide by it i think you just need to break up with this person because this person deserves to have somebody go down on her and like go to town and just like be like thank you for the best 20 minutes of my life going down on you was awesome you know like that's like what people want and if you can't provide that like you it's basically you're just like i can't have sex with my girlfriend that's basically you know? what she's saying that's basically what you're saying because like going down on somebody is like pretty much like 101 sex for a female and especially in a female female relationship right i mean like I don't know. Yeah. I, it's like, it's not the only it, thing. It's not the only thing, but it's pretty important. It's pretty major. And, and to have that go off the table I, to me would just feel like, Oh, you don't want to have sex with me. Like total deal breaker for me. Like if someone's like, I think your vagina is mildly gross. Like, how are you going to, yeah. how are you going to have lots of other fun kinds of sex? How are you going to have other fun kinds of sex? If you think the badge is gross in general, because your so like, room is going to smell like that badge yes totally and no matter what i can't imagine that this person is like grossed out by like going down and then just like thinks it's really hot to kind of like get all handsy about it like they're probably kind of grossed out by that too it seems like the area is repugnant to them or something i guess maybe they're just like a stone cold bottom or something is that possible I mean, I'm, maybe they could find some kind of stone top who's like, great. I actually never want you to acknowledge that I even have a body. Yeah, they can go find somebody who has issues on the other end of the spectrum and they can match up and possibly have a really fulfilling sex life. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's kind of a weird thing to lead with while you're dating. Like, I'm interested in you. I think you're hot and cool, but I'm just never going to go down on you. So uh, how do you feel about that? I guess you could just kind of like meet people on like sex personals where you're kind of like, 
leading with that, right? On a sex personal, like that's cool. You can totally do that. But if you're trying, if you're dating in a more like I want a girlfriend or a boyfriend kind of way, it's a little hard to lead with. I want to date. I'm looking for a girl who doesn't care that I find her vagina disgusting. Like <laughs> it's a little hard. I also have a vagina and I have internalized some misogynist whatever. Yeah. I mean, like maybe this person has um, like OCD issues and I'm saying this like totally legitimately and like with compassion and not just like being like, this person's crazy. But like, like, like the, the deodorant on the vagina makes me feel like maybe this person needs to, the, to control the uncontrollable body, you know, like our bodies are so beyond our control in some ways, like our vagus smell, our armpit smell, like we do all these things to try to control our bodies with deodorant or shaving or whatever. And like, but when it gets down to it, we really can't, it's just very thin control that we really cannot, you know, have on our bodies. It just seems like maybe this person has control issues, like that maybe kind of go into OCD territory, maybe not, but there's like a larger issue going on with like, the female body and like the messiness of the female body, the inherent uncontrollable messiness of it. And maybe that's something that can be sorted out in therapy or with the help of pharmaceuticals, which I am a total proponent of because they do actually help OCD kind of like issues. So if that's something, that's something to look into. It's worth it because what this person doesn't realize is that they are, what's happening is they're being cut off from something that's actually really awesome, which is like just fun, messy sex where you get dirty and you shove your face in someone's crotch and you just get wild and you give the person that you care about the gift of an amazing orgasm and which you get dopamine off of as well. Like there's just this whole experience that she's not able to access. And so it's definitely worth looking more at like, what is this? Where is this coming from? Instead of just being like, this is how I am. It's just something I don't like. I wear deodorant, even though I know it's not good for me, blah. Yeah. It's like, well, maybe, you know, there's there's something, the fact that she has acknowledged that maybe it's a little intense that she's using deodorant, like makes me think that this person has, there's a little crack of clarity coming in. Like maybe this issue isn't just like, I just don't like to eat mushrooms. It's just who I am. You know, yeah. it's like, maybe it's something bigger and, and, and I think they should be brave and look into it. Yeah. And meanwhile, don't date anybody with a vagina. Meanwhile, or anyone who's not a totally stone top who's Yeah, yeah. Don't don't date anybody who wants to use their their um vagina parts, vagina like parts for sex. If you like Sagittarian Matters, please tell your friends about us and go to iTunes and write us a review. If you're looking for older episodes, please visit our website, SagittarianMatters.Podbean.com. Thank you. All right, Michelle, do you have any last-minute advice about anything that you want to give to my listeners? Um, I don't know, man. Just be nice to each other. I say as I rip apart everybody's fashion and humiliate the poor bisexual girl who has issues with vagina. I don't know. Does anyone have advice for me as I burp into the phone? Mm, trying to think if I have any problems. I mean, I do. I have tons of problems, but any that I want to share, you know, on the on the internet. Oh my god, I forgot. 
I totally forgot. I got ghost. I got ghosted by somebody in Virginia. I skyped. <laughs> Dare they? <laughs> I had a Skype when I was in Virginia on this residency, and I was like digging deep for whatever. I skyped with somebody who had like 15 million dogs, and like her apartment was barren except for like a framed Nirvana poster over her bed. And I was like, okay, okay, I can go with that. She was really bummed out that I wouldn't ever ride on a motorcycle with her. I think that was a deal breaker. That's when she was like, like her boat. She's a real motorcycle person. She's like, wants her femme to like perch on the back of her motorcycle for her. That is a deal breaker for her. I get it. I I get get it too. And I was just like, I have a head injury. I can't do that. Um, But we had this like one or two hour long Skype talk where she just like told me rollicking details about her job in food service, which I was like, great. I love hearing stories. Um, but then we just like never talked again. And I was like, oh my God. But I, I forgot about it because who cares? And then, but then, and I only knew her first name. I called her like so-and-so many dogs in my phone because she had like five dogs. And then Facebook just suggested her to me the other day. And I was like, what? I was like, I didn't even know that person's last name. Like, I can't even remember the town she lived in. Like, Weird. Like, Facebook suggests people generally if they're looking you up. If they're stalking you or if you have incredible connections, they will suggest a person to you. Oh, is that how that works? Yeah, but I don't even understand how she could have found me. Anyway, but I just remembered I was like, oh, I got ghosted. I totally forgot about that. Um, so oh, how, so you're not going to be her friend, obviously. No, but I accidentally clicked the, the close button so I can never find her again. I tried to find her by first name and it just wasn't happening. Anyway. Just let her float back into the ether. She floated back into the ether, but I was like... Release her back into the ether. Because I was like, who are these... Like the, Remember, like, in Virginia, I was also talking to, like, a Satanist who I think worked at, like, Red Robin? No, you did not tell me that, because <laughs> I would remember that for sure. I think she lived with her parents, and she worked at Red Robin, and she had, like, band tattoos, like, the names of bands, like, on her as tattoos. Um, and... She, like, wasn't quite broken up with her ex-girlfriend, which I found out from Instagram. Her ex-girlfriend was like, I, I'm a sickness. you're not married to this person. She sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. She still follows me on Instagram, though. Um, <laughs> I know Chelsea Johnson was like, what are you doing? And I was like, she's so cute. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We didn't even meet. I knew her for, like, I knew her. I texted her for, like, one second. And I was like, I'm running a batch. Like, if I was there, I'd move those boxes for you and run that bath for you. And I was like, would you? I was like, you don't even... All right. <laughs> I dated somebody like that. And by dated, I mean texted with for one solid year. Yeah. Yeah. They, there was all kinds of things they would have done if they were there. It was amazing. <laughs> when people was tell amazing. you all the things they would do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All the things they would do. Live reporting from their mom's, their mom's sewing room where they lived across the country. Slowly. If I was there. Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was a great romance. It was a it was a it was a it was a highlight of my romantic career. And then I also was texting with somebody from there who I was like, "This is fine," but then they used the word "white trash" in earnest, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh!" She was talking about flip flops, and she was like, "Oh, they're so white trash," and I was like, "Flip flops mm. have a lot of problems, but that's not their problem." <laughs> <laughs> flip flops do have a lot of problems. <laughs> I, like, I can't believe anyone would still use the term white trash, but people do. People do. People you say all kinds of terrible things all the time. There's my advice for the for the listeners. What? Don't say white trash. It's so problematic. Oh it, God, it, 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 it assumes that all people of color are already trash, so you don't need to like discern like but like white people 
are inherently not trashy. So when one white person happens to be trashy, you have to like make sure it's very clear that you're saying that they're white trash, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it's just horrible. It's horrible. And you're just being not classist. to that it just makes fun of like poor people. Yeah. <laughs> just... It's just the other problem. It's like, you're poor. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and like they're stupid. Like they're so stupid for being poor. Like, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they rich? There's, what idiots? What idiots? What are other like white trash tropes? Like a pregnant woman drinking beer with a black eye. You know, like what a dummy. What a dummy. She got into a, a bit abusive situation. Uh -huh. Yeah, you're using alcohol to cope. It's come from generations of alcoholics. It's dummy. Why aren't you sober and rich? What's wrong with you that man isn't treating you well? Hate these people. Oh, you're fertile? They're, they're so poor that they live in really poor housing, too. <laughs> so dumb, the houses they live in, they're like trailers. So stupid. Get a real house. They seem so stressed out that they're abusing their children. Yeah. You have, Dummies. You have stress? <laughs> <laughs> God, it was a big deal in the 90s. There were lots of white trash parties. People would have white trash parties. And drink PBR and like eat like fried chicken and like wear Daisy to... Dukes and like tie their tie their t shirts under their tits. The girls and the dudes would all wear like trucker hats. Do you remember there was a movie called Heavy Metal Parking Lot? Yes, but like I remember here people showing it and it was like a bunch of like upper middle class punk people be like <laughs> because everyone in Heavy Metal Parking Lot is like. <clears throat> They're like broke people who like are obsessed with metal. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's Dumb. like, can you believe them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say the punks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> when I first moved to Portland, I just remember, I remember being so appalled that punks didn't want to pay for things. Like super rich trust fund punks would go to like a collect, there would be like collective like cafe nights, people at uh -huh. like an underground cafe. And then they would have a donation jar thing and that's how you paid. And I remember seeing people take huge plates and being like, uh, and just like sneak away from the donation jar oh, creeps but like it wasn't a food not bombs it wasn't like those people were so broke right this was like a no punks never want to pay for anything no i say this as somebody who's done like punk-esque performance tours for a decade the worst was when we were in we went to we brought sisters but to europe and played at the squats they just acted like you were just like Donald Trump rolling into their squat, demanding that they pay. Like, like you were the worst person for wanting them to pay money to see your show, which had cost you a veritable fortune to bring over to Europe from the United States, like a van load of performers who were all just like totally broke like fundraising, like sending like, please help me letters to like their aunts to try to get the money for their plane ticket and stuff like that. Like had left their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Such jerks. It's like, well, someone's paying for this. So I guess it's not part of like your like philosophy to wonder about like that's you're you're, you're questioning a lot of authority right now, but I guess you're not going to question like, hmm, who is paying for this if I'm not, you know, it's like, but everyone's like drinking and smoking. It's like so my pet peeve. The worst was when we were in, we did a show at a squat in Germany and they'd given us a guarantee and it was like the shittiest guarantee in the world, but it was still a guarantee. And like nobody came to our show. Okay. But we have a guarantee. Like that's what the guarantee is for. You are guaranteeing that no matter what happens, you will give us a measly 150 euro. So like not enough people came to our show. 
And so they were like, we can't give you your guarantee, which was just like so outrageous. And I was so furious, but like, what do you do? You can't do anything. And then um, I'm in this little room in the squat where they're putting us up and somebody comes in to d deliver our pay, whatever it was. And I look and it's the top dollar is like a hundred euro note. And I'm like, my body just like floods with relief because I was so stressed out the whole time because Radar, my little queer nonprofit was like bleeding money to do this European tour that I just booked on a whim. So I wanted to go to Europe. It was like super irresponsible. And um, I was really happy that they decided to give us the the um, guarantee after all. And I pulled the rubber band off and it's a fake hundred dollar euro with some anti-capitalist message on it. <gasps> like what sort of psychopath would do that? Like that is just like extreme punking of like, a traveling queer feminist art show. Like, why would you do that? What did you? What monsters? Did you discover that in front of them and just kill them? No, no, because you know it's so rude to look at money in front of somebody, right? When so you were like, "Thank it, you." It implies that you don't trust them, right? So no, they just like dropped it off on my sleeping bag and like skedaddled. Oh my God, Michelle. Creeps, I know. Do you remember when I saw Kathleen Hanna? She had a slide that's, or she's had the thing where she was like, feminist art shouldn't be free because it's not free to make. Yeah. And then people in the audience were like, oh! what? Because <laughs> it was Portland and everyone's like, why can't we just keep all of our money and then you just entertain us for free? Come on. <laughs> God, it's just so like people are living in a different world. It's like, you don't smash capitalism by making poor people perform for you for free. <laughs> poor people who are trapped in capitalism, like you don't deprive them the means to survive within capitalism. That, that's actually not what smashing capitalism. I don't know what smashing capitalism is, but it's not that. No, it's definitely not that. Yeah. So our advice could be pay your performers. Yeah. Respect poor don't people. Don't make fun of poor people. Yeah, don't make fun of poor people for being so stupid that they're not rich. <laughs> I mean, I did this anthology, you know, called Without a Net, which was all like the female experience of people who grew up broke. And I remember when it was out, I was having to do all these little like media things for it. And I got sent to some like morning talk show, like without realizing that like morning talk shows are basically almost unanimously hideous and run by evil men, you know, and this guy was like, so why should I care about these poor people? Like just like point blank. And I just was like, so I, I didn't even know. I had no shell on. I didn't know what I was walking into. So I was just like, I, 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 I don't even know what I said in response to him. He's like, but I mean, if you're, you're, you're saying that all these people in this book are very intelligent, but like, why are they poor if they're so intelligent? I was like, oh my God, people really think, you know, cause I live in my little bubble of, surrounded by my like 18 friends who are, are smart and compassionate and had similar life experiences and know like what time it is. And then suddenly I was like thrown to the, the talk radio wolves without realizing. Oh my God. I know it's horrible. If you're really smart, then you're rich. Like Donald Trump, who's so smart. He's a genius. He's so the smart. Genius. That's so tragic. Yeah. Um, I do want to tell you one time my friend Nate was collecting money for a traveling band and mm -hmm. show and he was collecting the money. He was like, had like a beer box that he was collecting the money in. Yeah. And then he would walk up to people and they would start taking out their wallets because they thought he had beer. And then he would say, oh, it's for the band. And they'd be like, oh, sorry, I'm broke. And put their wallet oh. away. <laughs> oh, my God. Priorities. Priorities. Worst. People. Will you tell me about your book, Black Wave? 
Oh, I didn't know we would talk about it. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. It's my favorite thing I've ever written, which is handy because I've been writing it for so many years. Um, and it's it just came it just came out slash is coming out, which means like I have a box of them at my house, so they exist in the world. Are they in bookstores yet? I'm not quite sure. You can definitely order them online. But it's a book that I started writing as like a is a straight up memoir. Well, a lot of things happened. I, I was, I actually was, had this weird book idea. It's not weird. It's a great book idea. I had this book idea in my head. I was going to write a apocalypse novel that sort of followed the song structure of Ziggy Stardust. So I started writing it and it was a lot about fame and getting famous. Um, and then I had this breakup and I realized I didn't want to write about fame and getting famous, but I had been with someone who thought a lot about that. And so I was like, influenced by that and then I just thought oh I actually just want to tell the story of this relationship I've been in and so I started writing that just as like a straight memoir and then I had a conversation with my ex and he he just didn't want it to happen and you know in the past I've been really like screw you about it but it made sense in this way where I just was like oh like you know I was with this person for a long time we were a public couple we've finally reached a point where we're sort of uncoupled in the public mind sort of and it felt nice and I was like oh now I'm kind of like bringing us back together in this weird way and which I guess I still am right now because I'm still talking about it and I was like oh if the book comes out I'll have to talk about this relationship and I don't necessarily want to do that and you know both did other people and it's just like I suddenly saw how it was it didn't matter whether or not like I had the right to tell my story which is usually like the memoirists shield in such moments, but it was more like, what, what is it really going to look like when this book comes out? And then I kind of got excited about the challenge of how can I retain the story that I've held on to that I've written that I like and sort of take out what felt to me to be the main point of the book, which was this relationship. So I sort of gutted it in this way and then filled in the blanks. And it was, it was really fun. And I had to employ all of this, kind of fantasy and, and fiction and ended up kind of going back in this funny way to the original idea of this apocalyptic memoir, uh, apocalyptic novel. So I kind of brought those elements back in. And there's even like a few secret Ziggy Stardust references tucked in here and there. So it ended up being this really wild book and it was really fun to just be like, screw it. I'm sort of writing memoir, but um, I'm, le I'm letting all of this stuff that never happened come in and I'm writing about Michelle in the third person and I'm writing about myself, not through my own eyes, but kind of looking down at myself like a, like a doll and making all this crazy stuff happen. And it was really exhilarating and I really am happy with the results and I'm happy that the book is out. Cool. Well, yeah. you, what percentage would you say is like memoir in it versus fiction in it? It's hard to say. It's like, uh, you know, the beginning of it is like San Francisco in the 90s and a lot of like my behavior and things that happened were real. It's like almost everything I do or Michelle does is real, but she, the people that I'm, she's doing it with are in, sometimes invented. Um, sometimes um, they're real people that I knew later in life who were not around in the 90s, but I sort of time traveled them backwards and created them into a character. And, you know, I just did weird stuff. Um but the state of the world, it's like the world is kind of deteriorating in the way that our world really is, but it's sort of excel super accelerated, um, especially since it takes place in 1999, because things are worse now than they were even then. And then she moves to Los Angeles, which I really did. 
and then the world starts ending. So that's all very fictionalized. But the things that Michelle's doing, which are like working in a bookstore, that was really worked in a bookstore in LA, feeling like a, a loser who has no money. That was true. You know, kind of bottoming out on alcohol. That's true. Um, but then what Michelle in the book does with that is very different than what I did with it in real life. And, um, and then all these magical things begin to happen where, because the world is ending, there are all these people who will, who would have fallen in love with each other if the world hadn't ended and they're finding each other in their dreams. They're having dreams about each other. And then they're finding each other in real life on the internet and like, but they're often in really different places. You know, it's like maybe these people would have fallen in love. Maybe there's a 10 year age difference, but they would have fallen in love when they were 30 and it doesn't matter. And then they find their love on the internet and it's like a, you know, 12 year old, you know, or something like that. And it's like totally weird. And so there's like funny things like that that happen. What's the official pub date? I think the official pub date is September 15th. All right, Michelle. Okay. Thanks for talking to us about. Glad we fixed the world today. We fixed the world. Fashion, it's, so it's okay to not look like a punk teenager. Yeah, it's really okay. It's okay to open yourself to the wide world of fashion and and play and have fun and see like what new thing that you never thought you'd wear that you actually like feel great in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like, why is it important to be punk? Why is it important to look punk? Why is that important? Is that the most important thing? Is that really the coolest thing? It's it's not. There's all kinds of ways to be cool in the world. Punk, punk is just one of them. And it's like, you know, like if, if you're not feeling it, but you're fe- but you're still dressing it, doesn't that make you a poser? Isn't that the epitome of a poser? Don't be a poser. Move on. Don't be a poser. By the Move way, on. I have been called a cliche on Portland's Oregon Public Broadcasting before. They're like, how does it feel to be a cliche? To be a Portland cliche? What? Can I tell you this? What is that? Did, did they mean icon? Did they get confused? Thank you. No, they were like, how does it feel to be a Portland cliche? Because I like have cat eye glasses and like I'm wearing a vintage dress and do zines and I was like I don't know because I was like this before I moved here and then I started creating culture here that people you know I was like I don't know this is just how I've looked for a very long time and I don't know how do these people get who gives these assholes microphones I don't know but this was a question like the producer prepped me this question and then the host asked me on the air in front of a live audience how it feels to be a Portland cliche you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry that happened to you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. But as you, I've looked the same, give or take, for a very long time, because that's just me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, so it's okay to wear pigtails as long as they're on the top of your head. As long unless, as they're not on the top of your head. As, unless, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't make fun of poor people. Babies Go down on your girlfriend. Go down on your girlfriend. They want that from you. Pharmaceuticals are okay. Pharmaceuticals are great. Pharmaceuticals are great. I was just thinking that I so many cartoonists are depressed or want to kill oh. themselves on Discovery. God. For real. That I honestly think that some pharmaceutical company would be very wise to table, start tabling at conventions. <laughs> and their tagline could be like, retain your creativity while feeling balanced, while balancing your moods. I really think that if they had like samples or like information, they had some like cool looking young pharmaceutical reps being like, no, you'll totally still get ideas. You'll totally still work as hard. You just won't like, you know. That's the thing is that people think people really think that their, their art or their creativity or that's that's the thing that makes them special is like that, that nugget of depression. No, it's just not. Or they think that they're never going to have a feeling again. 
or something. It'll make them into like a cold hearted robot. But I'm on meds and I, I cry all the time still when something moves me to tears. I just have like control over my emotions and I don't feel like I'm walking around under a, a little cloud of gloom all day, a little gloom cloud. And you're even in a punk band with a baby. <laughs> I'm in a punk band with a baby, so I still have my edge. You have your edge, you have your creativity, you have your feelings, ah. you have everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and if somebody's a bad kisser and it's seven years in and you're just discovering this, maybe there's more to that. There's more to that. Dig deep. Dig, dig deep. deep. Dig a little deeper. I think that's it. Thanks All right. For being on the the morals of our day. I love being on your podcast. Thanks for asking me. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. I'm going to go to New York City in um, September. I'm, I'm having a big thing at the Powerhouse um, in Dumbo. Wait, when is it? I think it's uh, Wednesday, September 14th. I'm going to be in conversation with um, Isaac Fitzgerald from BuzzFeed, who's one of my favorite people in the world. He's just so fun and awesome. So we're just going to like hang out and talk. And I guess I'll read. And um, I'm going to be at the Brooklyn Book Festival on a panel and doing a signing on Sunday the 18th. And um, then what am I doing? In Los Angeles, where I live now, I'm going to have a big book party on October 3rd. Um, at Peter performance space. And I have invited a bunch of um, my friends to come in, come in, either read from my book or tell their own story about Los Angeles or apocalypses. Great. So I'd be with uh, Tara Jepsen, Ali Liebegott, Ann Friedman, Nikki Darling, Sarah Gertrude Shapiro and Peggy Noland are all going to do stuff. So that will be super fun. And, and then I go to around uh northern california and i'm gonna be where am i i'm at the avid reader in sacramento mark your calendars mark your calendar sack monday sack. october 10th that's a really cool bookstore i've always wanted to do something there um oh but on the 9th the day before i am going to um be at litquake with daniel handler litquake and radar productions are are bringing me there at the book binder museum which is a very beautiful space worth dressing up for i'm doing a lot of universities um in november i'll be in the pacific northwest i'm going to read at powell's on november 15th which is cool um uh, i'm going to read uh in seattle on the 18th and i'm also teaching a, a writing workshop at hugo house on the 19th of november i love that so, yeah i'll be around i love I will, i'll add those i'll add Thanks. those so people can find you.